we have one of our mission partners that we support with us here this morning that is going to come and, and fill you in on what is taking place there. You know, we have, we have purpose for being here. As I said just a minute ago, a lot of times we get in this uh, going through the motions thing. But the truth of the matter is, we have a reason to be here. The reason we are here is to bring glory and honor unto our God. Uh, to take all that He has given us and reflect it back to Him in worship. And so our mission statement actually says that, and it says that we do that in two ways. The first way that we do that is we take the gifts and the grace that God has given to each one of us, and we apply them to one another to nurture and to edify faith in Christ. The reason we, we say that is because as we grow and are conformed to the image of Christ our Savior, we bring glory and honor unto God by reflecting His image to the world, right? I mean, that's our, that's our whole purpose of why we come in and we read the Word and we study the Word and we apply it to our life because whenever we go out into this world, we want them to see Christ in us. And so that's the first way that we do that, and we, do, we work very hard to accomplish that in this church. But at the same time, there's another part to it. We also take the gifts and the grace that God has given us, and we extend it outside of the walls of this church in good deeds that bring glory and honor to God and evangelism that produces more disciples of Jesus Christ. And so... One of the ways that we accomplish that part of our mission is that we partner, and I'm thankful this morning that we have a mission committee that, that um, monitors this for us, and they work together and decide how we as a church are going to support and who we're going to support. But we, we, are, we have the privilege of uh, partnering with many local organizations, uh, just a few, the, the shelter, the women's shelter in Lawrenceburg, a kid's place, uh, advocacy center for children, abused children. Uh, we partner with those. We, uh, we partner with the Life Choice Pregnancy Center. Um, and then we have uh, missions in Guatemala. And this morning, as Brittany and John Michael are going to present to us, we have a mission that we support in Africa as well, that there is an orphanage there that they support. Um, they, they are planting churches and training pastors. And so I'm thankful this morning that we're not here without purpose, that even though we still have a lot to learn, right? I mean, I'm not up here telling you we're a perfect church and we've got it all figured out. No, if you've been here very long, you know we're still a group of sinners. We still um, get in our motions and we, we, we still need a jump start from time to time and, and we need to be redirected toward what we're doing here. But I'm thankful this morning that you are a church that understands that it's not just what we do inside the building, but it's what we do out there as well. And I'm thankful this morning for people like Brittany and John Michael. And um, if y'all, is it just John Michael that's coming or both of y'all coming up? If you would, come on up here this morning. I'm going to give you this um, lapel mic. We have been praying for these guys ever since they left. And um, we have faithfully prayed for them as we said we would. And, um, and I do believe that God is, um, is going to lead and direct. But this morning... Uh, John Michael is going to present to you where they've been, where they are, and where they're going. And hopefully we'll be able to see the vision that God has for the ministry. And at, at it's, it's on the Ivory Coast, correct? But what is the name of the place? It is Ivory Coast. It is Ivory Coast. Okay. So, yeah. 
So it is Ivory Coast, Africa. So um, uh, if y'all would, give him your attention this morning. And uh, please don't think just because you're not hearing my preaching this morning that it's wasted time. This is part of why we come together. Y'all understand that, right? And so I pray this morning that you will listen attentively and you'll be in prayer for where God has, what God has already done and where God is going to take them in the mission that you support on the Ivory Coast. Well, good morning. And uh, I think we can all agree it's been quite a year. Uh, not just for us, but for you guys and, and the whole world. Uh, so I'm seeing uh, a few new faces that I don't recognize from a year ago. Uh, so just to introduce myself, I'm John Michael. This is my wife, uh, Brittany, over here. And then I have uh, three kids, Ocean, Isla, and Jubilee, and one more on the way. Uh, Brittany said she'd be more than happy to sit and talk with anybody uh, that would like to get her perspective and things, but she's just feeling very pregnant right now, so she didn't want to come up and stand up here for my long-winded self. Um, but anyway, so we were uh, most recently in Ivory Coast, West Africa, as most of you know, for a year. And this was our first year doing missions work with, uh, with our family. I started doing it when I was 14. Brittany and I started doing it together in college. But this was our first time with our family, and it was our first time doing missions with a worldwide quarantine. So that was, that was interesting. Um, so Ivory Coast is in West Africa. It's just below the Sahara Desert, just to give you some ideas. Uh, it's not as hot and dry as that, but it is, uh, it's warm. So uh, Linda asked me today if I was cold. I've been cold since I came back to America. <laughs> the, the coolest it got in country was about 79. The coolest our bedroom got was about 83, and our living room averaged about 90 degrees for the past year. So, yeah, needless to say, we're a little chilly, uh, even on nice days like yesterday today. Uh, so first, let me just say thank you. Okay, thank you to those of you who know you've been giving uh, to our missions work, and thank you to those who have been giving and didn't know that the church was giving to our missions work, but thank you, and thank you for your prayers, thank you for your encouragement, thank you for your messages on Facebook and the, the, the cards that some of you sent with us when we first went over. I know a bunch of people from the church wrote, wrote us cards, and those were sent over in a suitcase with us, and we were able to look at those on, you know, dog days, you know, days when we were down, or days when we were stuck inside, or which was a lot this year, uh, uh, just, you know, anytime we needed a pick-me-up, you know, we'd open up a card and we'd see it'd be somebody, uh, a lot of times from here. And so just thank you so much, guys. Really, <clears throat> we, we couldn't have done what we did if we had the donations but not the prayer. Because there were days where it was just really discouraging and really tough, you know. And so I'm here this morning to share with you guys, and I want you to know I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to be honest about our first year because it's just real life. Right? I mean, your life isn't perfect, and I know it. You don't have to hold any punches when you're sharing your life with me, so I'm not going to hold any punches with you guys. Uh, we had a lot of really awesome stuff happen this year. We had a lot of really discouraging stuff happen this year, too. You know? But we're here uh, because we made it through. And we made it through because we had the people of God praying as we were sent out to go and increase the church of God and train the church of God. So, uh, as you know, we went in August of 2019. And just a, a quick recap, I know most of you have probably followed us on Facebook, but some of you um, probably haven't. Just a quick recap, we went in August of 2019, and that was back when the world was normal, right? So traveling international with children was easier, because you didn't have to wear a mask and keep them on their face incessantly, you know? And uh, so we get there, and we were just getting settled. So we decided for our first year to go ahead and stay uh, on the orphanage property. 
So we stayed in the top floor of the orphanage, uh, which was why it was so hot. Um, and we get there, we didn't have a vehicle, we didn't have a kitchen, we didn't have cabinets, we didn't have closets, we didn't have shelves. We literally had the stuff that we brought in our suitcases. We were washing dishes in the shower and um, till the shower decided it didn't want to work. And uh, so that was kind of the first few months was just basic getting ready, getting settled, figuring out where we can buy bowls at and where we can buy rice at and where the rice is going to have the least amount of bugs in it and how to get the bugs out and, you know, thing, things like that. Can we find a crock pot in this country that actually works? You know, you know, where can we find beef at that we can actually chew? You know, just uh, fun stuff like that. And um, <clears throat> uh, during that time, during those first few months, actually in October, Ocean accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Right. <laughs> He's excited. He's putting his hand up. And uh, <laughs> uh, so that was, that was pretty cool. If nothing else, the year was worth it because it created an opportunity and a situation that really challenged him and allowed him to be in a situation where he knew he needed to be trusting Jesus too because it was all new stuff and big stuff for him. And so in October, I had the joy of leading him, uh, leading him to Christ. And in those early months, we really just hung out at the orphanage. For those of you that don't know, in this ministry work, we plant churches, we train pastors, and we take care of an orphanage. That's, our, that's kind of like our foundational ministry work that we're doing. We have inherited that from an older couple who are still involved, but they're, they're starting to slow down a little bit. They're in their 70s. They still outpace me, but they're starting to get over there less and less. So we're kind of coming in behind them to continue doing the work that they've been doing for years and then to con continue expanding it as the Lord gives us vision, which we'll get the, onto that in a minute. So basically, we just hung out at the orphanage those first few months, getting settled, figuring out you just, you know, how we're going to live and function as a family in this uh, new situation. Ocean accepted the Lord in October. And then shortly after that, sickness started to set, set in at the house, in, in our family, I guess you, you could say. And this is not corona sickness. This is all prior to that. But, you know, in a new environment, the orphanage has 26 kids. Those kids go out to public school, little village schools. They come back. They're touching my kid's face and playing with them. So, you know, some sickness was expected, right, because it's all new for their immune systems. Uh, but our kids just were getting hit really heavy and really hard. And many of you will remember our post asking for prayer requests. Uh, and so basically, <clears throat> uh, every, every couple weeks, every two weeks or so, the kids had something and to varying degrees. And uh, Ocean had his first bout with malaria, and that really kind of knocked his immune system down and dictated the rest of his year. The girls' bodies were much stronger. And so throughout this entire year that we've been there and seeing God do things, we, you know, we were having uh, health struggles. I had a stomach infection for three months. and different. So it was, just, it, was, it was a lot of adjustment physically. I'm not telling you that for pity. All of you have already messaged us and given us plenty of that. I'm just telling you, it, it, physically, it was more of a challenge than what we expected both in the temperature, uh, the temperature change, and in the, uh, I guess you'd say, the gut issues and just different things like that. Uh, but we made it through. And the thing is, is that's just, it's just like here, that's, that's what you do, right? You, you, you try to make good choices. You try to get your kids the medicine. God really came through for us. You know, God cares about the details. And he doesn't just care about the details of my life because I'm a missionary. I'm nothing special. This just happens to be what he's called me to. He cares about the details of your life. And so our situation here was like your situation, our situation there was like yours here. You know, God led us to the right doctor. He led us to friends who were able to allow us to stay in their house in the city near the doctor when we needed that, 
right? He led us, actually at one point when Ocean, after malaria, his big sickness, we think it was maybe something like meningitis. We don't know. It was a, it was a mystery illness. He was taking antibiotics, the IV, and it wasn't working. And God literally led us, had led us to be friends with some people that knew the owner of the hospital. And the, the African doctors and some of the Lebanese doctors were not really uh, being as aggressive as they needed to be. And so we were able to get on the phone with the owner of the hospital and say, hey, you've got an American kid in your hospital. He's not getting better. They're not doing anything. And we need you to make them change his antibiotic regimen because he's already been sick for this many days. And, and so he got on the phone. Within about five minutes, things were, things were changed. So God came through for us in, the, in really amazing ways, even in situations like that where names and phone numbers would show up, relationships would show up where they didn't exist before. And it's because he cares about the details. And let me encourage you guys that if, you're, if you need to walk in obedience, just walk in obedience. God's going to provide the way through the door as you step through it, okay? And so, like, we didn't know these people before we went. We didn't know these phone numbers before we went. We didn't know even how to get to the hospital. We didn't have a vehicle. The first time we got sick, we were riding, Orphanage had a little vehicle at the time, which has since broken down, and uh, we were riding to the hospital, and he was hallucinating. He thought the top of the van was on fire, and temperature had shot up to 106. We didn't even know how to get to the hospital, you know, so we're figuring all this stuff out at 4 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, so it was just, we were worried, but we knew that God had his hand on things. We knew he had his hand on our children. We knew he had his hand on our family. And so it was tough, but we kept going with the work. Satan always wants to discourage you from doing God's work by attacking your situation. And he always wants your situation in your mind to be bigger than God is in reality. And so we knew going into it as a spiritual battle. But let me emphasize, there were days where, yeah, we were just down, but we couldn't stay down because people were praying. Like there were days where we wanted to be bummed out, right? Like we wanted to be depressed. We're like, man this is just not cool, I can't believe they're sick again, or I can't believe this happened again, or I can't believe, you know, this is going on at the orphanage and such and such is acting like this. There were days where we wanted to be bummed out, but we couldn't because the Holy Spirit showed up and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I cannot emphasize enough how much we covet your prayers. I cannot emphasize enough how much we covet your encouragement, right, and the scriptures that people have sent us because those are the kinds of things that come from the outside and help, and help build us up. So uh, after, after the first few months and, you know, we realized, okay, you know, we really need a vehicle and God bless us with a, a good vehicle and a good mechanic, which are amazingly hard to find in Ivory Coast. Um, and so I began to go out into little forays into the bush uh, to, to work with pastors and do training and evangelism and stuff. Now, again, this is po or pr before, prior to Corona and all of that stuff. And so I was able to have some really good work done in the bush before all the quarantine stuff set in. Uh, one of the most interesting things I was able to do in the bush as I was able, actually able to work with some church discipline issues that we were having. We had a pastor who was stealing from the church treasury. It's a little bush church, you know, so they brought in a, maybe a couple dollars a week, you know. But this pastor was taking money and he was intimidating the older lady who was in charge of the money and he was lying about his rent and getting help from other people and found out he was being abusive towards his wife and he, had, and he actually had uh, hit some of our other pastors. And, and so I realized, well, you know, this guy, is, this guy has really got some kind of sin in his life, which I thought was greed at the time, which it was, which is affecting his spirit and preventing him from really living like Jesus. So we need to address this. So we rode 16 hours out in the bush and 
we go to meet with this guy because the church members were like, hey, we don't know what to do. We don't want this guy to be our pastor anymore, but he won't step down. And so I sat in this meeting, listened to other pastors from the region came around, and they were talking about what they want to do with this guy, but it had kind of devolved into a good old boy situation where they had been friends with him for a while. They knew the way he was acting wasn't good. And in two hours of me listening to them, not one person brought up Scripture. That one person brought up anything from Corinthians or Timothy about the requirements for a deacon or a leader. Not one of them talked about how they had to be in self-control or how they had to have their family in good standing and how they couldn't be greedy specifically. Nobody brought any this stuff up. And I don't say this because I'm some super righteous guy. There's been many situations where I have been talking to African pastors either in Ghana or Cote d'Ivoire, and they know the Bible better than me. You know, it's just God put me here for a reason. And God used you guys to send me for a reason. And so I was able to, at the end of the meeting, they said, okay, well, let's hear the missionary's perspective. And I was able to walk them through Corinthians and Timothy and walk through what a biblical leader looks like, what a biblical father looks like, what a biblical pastor looks like. And prior to that, this guy had been over here laughing and smirking and just making faces and throwing his hands, being very immature. And as soon as I started speaking scripture, all the color just melted out of his face, you know. And he realized, oh, wow, this is something serious. Something's going to happen here. And and so I was able to talk to them about how you properly discipline, remove somebody from authority, place them under somebody else's authority, and mentor them. Because the idea is not rejection. The idea is to build someone back up. But they can't be in a position where they hurt other people. And uh, afterwards, his wife came up and gave me a big hug. Told me, merci, merci, merci. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because she wasn't happy in the situation. She saw her husband was struggling with sin. She saw he needed to be removed from authority. And uh, the church members were happy. We moved in another pastor over that church. And this is a situation, guys, that would not have resolved itself if it hadn't been there because such of a lack of biblical knowledge. Even when people get saved a lot of times in Africa, they get saved because they know they're in darkness. You'll have to understand that. Even if they're not in witchcraft, even if they're not in Islam, even if they're not in these other things, they get saved because like whatever they're in, it could just be basically atheism, right? They're just trying to survive. They know they're in darkness. That's not the problem. The problem is they have no light. Well, they see Jesus and like, man, this is what I've been waiting for. This is it. I didn't know what I was waiting for, but this is the light that I've been waiting for. They get saved. The problem is there's a lack of discipleship, right? And so you have people who have been a Christian for two years and they're already a pastor. Or they've, they've taken a few classes with us and they think that they're ready to go out and, and lead a church, and they understand everything, and they've been discipled. You know, how many of us know there's head knowledge and there's heart knowledge, right? Discipleship deals with your character and your obedience to the lifestyle that Christ demands. Bible, Bible school deals with your knowledge of Scripture. So we have people here in this situation, some of them pastors, who have some Bible knowledge, but they've been discipled very little on obediently walking like Jesus. And you have some that had very little knowledge, and very little discipleship. And so you can't just lead people to Christ and expect everything to be okay. That's like throwing sheep out to the wolves. And so my job is to come in and to shore up these churches and pastors that are already there with biblical teaching, but also discipleship. And, and then also, as we lead more people to Jesus, to go ahead and disciple them properly. I, I would like to make a side note. Mr. James's ministry, he's the guy who started all this, it was interrupted by a civil war. So if you're wondering why has this other guy been there for so many years and you have shallow pastors and shallow churches, well, it's because there was 10 years of fighting. So it kind of made it difficult for him to consistently get to some of these churches. Some of them he had zero contact with for that 10 years. 
zero contact, meaning not even cell phone contact, nothing. So some of them were saved, some of these people were saved for a year, and then they had 10 years of just being by themselves. So it's pretty natural that some of the sin from their old lifestyle would seep in. And most of my time in the bush before the quarantine stuff hit was spent dealing with issues like this. It was spent walking people through scripture and giving them the tender love and care that they needed their entire spiritual walk, but they didn't have. And we can't do that without you guys. You see, we're not all called to go and spend all of our time in the bush. We're called to go how we can, when we can, right? Give how we can, when we can. God calls us all in different capacities. And so I'm very thankful for you guys in sending us because we were able to really make a difference, not just in the lives of a few individuals, but in whole churches and in whole communities. We have churches that are functioning differently now because we were able to sit down and talk with them and spend time with them consistently. Like when I go out to the bush, I'm not on a time limit. I don't have a week that I have to come back to America. I didn't have a week where, and then I had to go back to the orphanage. I could go out into the bush and spend as much time as I wanted. And there were some, some of my little forays in the bush where I ended up going farther and staying longer than I expected and eating food that I didn't really want to eat. You know, I've got to be honest. And some of it made me sick, but it, some of it tasted pretty good, even though I knew I was going to regret it later. You know, and, you know, when they cook their okra there, they don't, uh, they don't get rid of any of the slimy stuff inside. So sometimes they'll bring you a big bowl of okra stew, and you pull the spoon up, and it's just this. And that's the one thing where I'm just like, I've had it once, and I just, they, they laugh. They know I won't eat it. And, and you know, and they make it as spicy as all get out. And, and, and so, so you end up in crazy situations, but sometimes you're sitting there and you're in this village. For example, I'm in Loguale, and they're like, man, we need you to go out farther. And you're thinking, I'm, I'm already 17 hours from home. You know, I'm already 17 hours from the orphanage. I don't really want to know if I want to end up farther than that, because the farther you get, the worse the roads get or non-existent. You're driving through people's yards and through trees and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but you do it, and you get there, and you realize, man, these people, they just need some care. They just need somebody to spend time with them on dealing with these things. And, you know, it's really easy for any of us to get caught up in sin, truthfully. If we're, if we're not passionately pursuing Jesus, right, life is kind of like a downward escalator. It's automatically going down. If we're not pursuing Jesus upward, if we're trying to stand still, it don't, it don't work that way. And so you get in these situations where, man, the people are hungry for the word and they're struggling with all these different issues and they don't even know that they're free from sin. They don't even know they're free from the attacks of the enemy. They don't know these things. And so I was really able to, to invest in a lot of these churches and these congregations um, uh, before quarantine set in. So Christmas time, I got malaria and we had this whole Christmas thing planned out for the girls at the orphanage. I didn't get to enjoy any of it. Um, and, uh, but it was okay. I'd had it before. It wasn't a big deal. I didn't have it as serious as ocean. Uh, it didn't interrupt any of our uh, ministry work and stuff. And the whole time as we're there doing this stuff, we're praying that God would give us new vision. And so, you know, then Corona came, we heard about something in China. We started noticing an hour away from us is the only, I say the only, the main modern city in, in Ivory Coast. It's got about 4 million people. So it's quite a doozy. The traffic is terrifying. Um, there's, no, there's no turn signals when you want to turn left, so you just have to drive into oncoming traffic and hope they stop. And I put that off as long as possible. Um, there's no parking anywhere, but there's a few Chinese restaurants, and we noticed that all the Chinese restaurants started shutting down. 
before anything got crazy. We're like, well, that's weird. There's a sickness in China and all the Chinese restaurants started shutting down. I mean, but like they started covering their signs up. And then we found out there was attacks in Nigeria and stuff like that on foreigners and on Chinese families. So we're like, well, this is getting weird. And then shortly after that, everything just shut down. Um, but kind of like she was saying earlier, you know, God doesn't want us to do nothing. There's, not a, there's never a period of time where God wants us to do nothing. And so everything shut down. Boom, we're stuck at the orphanage. We told our workers, you know, we've got mamas that live at the orphanage. And then we have a few day workers that come in. The pastor and his wife are there, and his brothers are our day workers. And we told them all, we said, look, we said, you can either go or you can either stay as long as this quarantine lasts. If you stay, you're going to get paid, and we really need you to stay. There's plenty to do. But if you go, you're not not getting paid, okay? And they said, we'll stay. So we put the guys over there in the church at the front of the property. The pastor and his wife are in their house. The mamas just... They're there all the time anyways, but they didn't get to go on the weekends to see their family. And so throughout all of quarantine, we had about 40 people there. Oh, uh, shortly before that, the, the village around us did flood, and we hosted about 30 people uh, at the or- orphanage because their houses were filled with this much water. So all the men slept in their houses up on hammocks above the water to keep things from getting stolen. All the women and kids, about 30 of them, came to stay at the orphanage. What's really interesting is that um, when they showed up, we never ran out of food. We had 30 extra people, and as soon as they showed up, as soon as we agreed to take them at the orphanage, people from the city just started showing up and donating food. We never mentioned it on Facebook. We never asked about it, nothing. We just assumed, you know, like, we, we have some rice here. We have some vegetables here. We'll figure it out. It's no big deal. Me and Brittany talked to James, thought, you know, we'll, you know, we'll throw some money out to get some food. But nobody had to do anything, because literally as soon as these people showed up, People, just strangers, just started showing up and donating food, like gobs of it. And so nobody went without. Our girls at the orphanage, our family, our visitors, none of them went without. So God just showed up in really awesome ways just to show how much he cares for us. Right? You know, keep in mind, God's so holy, if it wasn't for Jesus, he would have to be angry. Right? So we we need to solidly understand that as believers. He would have to be dealing with his wrath if it wasn't for Jesus. Because Jesus stepped in, he doesn't have to be angry anymore. He doesn't have to deal with it, okay, because he put our sins on Jesus. And so we're seeing a situation where we have unbelievers coming in, God's providing for them, and then we're able to sit down with them and say, hey, don't you see that God's providing for you? The waters are going down. Your family hasn't gotten sick from all the mold and everything that builds up with the extra water. God is literally sending food here from the city that strangers are, are bringing. Don't you see that God sees you? Don't you understand that because of Jesus, you're provided for, because Jesus is grace? And so it created opportunities for us to witness to people, for us to lead people to the Lord and things like that. It's a really awesome situation. So then village dried out, thankfully, and then they all went back home after a while. They kind of got comfy there for a while. We weren't sure if they were ever going to leave. And, um, and so... Uh, um, you know, so they went home, quarantine sets in, we're all at the orphanage, all the workers were all there, and uh, right before quarantine hit, we bought the girls a trampoline, because we thought, we're about to have 26 girls, 27 if you include the pastor's little sister who lives with them, and about to have 27 little girls plus our kids, and they're all going to be cooped up on just under two acres, you know, and uh, so we bought them a trampoline, which miraculously has made it the entire quarantine season, but again, we couldn't have bought that trampoline, which was imported from Canada, without you guys. And they loved it. So can I say, on behalf of them, thank you for the trampoline. Uh, they jumped on this thing 
for hours and hours and hours and hours every day. You know, we broke up into groups based off size, and they would just be lined up. They'd never even seen one to jump on this trampoline. We got the one with the net because we didn't want broken bones and stuff like that, you know. And, and it, it, it really saved their sanity because you can only play soccer for so long. You can only sit there and braid hair for so long. You know, you can only color for so long. They really just needed to get their energy out and do it in a fun way. So that was a, a big blessing for us that we, that we found that. And, uh, you know, I can't help but imagine that if Jesus was there, he would have probably been on the trampoline, too, with these girls. <laughs> you know, I, you know, people people think that uh, he, he's he's dignified all the time. I think Jesus was absolutely dignified. I think he was very respectful. I think that he absolutely had a holiness about him. But, I, you know, he was friends with fishermen. I think he probably liked to have some fun, too. And I feel like he had a sense of humor. You pick up on that if you pay attention to the gospel. And so sometimes I like to imagine Jesus jumping on the trampoline with them because, because he loves kids, right? He, he really loves them. And a, and a lot of times, even through quarantine, we would have people show up in masks and gloves. They'd show up with bags of food, just, hey, we wanted to, people we had never met. We just wanted to make sure that the girls at this orphanage, we just saw it driving by back before quarantine, and we were thinking of it. We wanted to make sure they had food. And they'd be out there sanitizing the bags of food for us before they brought them into the gate, you know. And, you know, just amazing to see how much God cared, uh, cared for these girls. So we were there during quarantine, but as we were there, eventually we got stir crazy, you know, and so, so we, um, one day I'm like, Brittany, let's ride, let's get in the truck, and let's just start driving through this coconut grove, because the orphanage is on property, this whole village, it's a fishing village, it's, the whole village is part of a giant coconut farm, okay, and we actually met the man who used to own all this land, he's 105, and he walks three kilometers every Sunday to come to come to the church at the orphanage. After I found that out, I started driving him. I'm like, there's no way we can let this 105-year-old guy, he said he's so old he doesn't remember his birthday, but he remembers fighting in a war back in 1970s in Burkina Faso, the country north of us. And after that, he moved to Cote d'Ivoire, but he sold the village its land. He's that old. And uh, th three kilometers, I think, is about six miles. Every morning, he walks six miles to church. And then he'd get a buddy to put him down the river, and he'd walk about three miles back. And so I started driving. <laughs> he was pretty cool. Anyway, so, um, uh, so it's a coconut grove. I said, Brittany, let's drive down through this coconut grove. So we're driving, and we get about seven miles. That's how big this coconut grove is. I say grove. It's not small. And it's coconut trees as far as, far as you can see through. And about seven-mile marker, we come on a village. No vehicles no electricity, every single house is made out of thatch from like palm leaves that they've woven together. And we pull over to the beach and there's about 50 men out there pulling in this huge net. You know, they get the boats made out of trees. They take them about a mile out with their net. They bring them back in a big U shape. And then all the men or the whole village will get out there and they just start pulling in that net. It takes a couple hours to do it, you know, and the fish get caught in it. And they see us, and they start laughing and hooting and hollering because they don't get many foreigners and ask us if we had snacks. So we gave them some peanuts and water. You know, and so then we keep going. And at about the nine-mile mark, we see another village. Same thing, same situation. But we realize there's no mosques, there's no church. Well, we, we didn't see any, like, pagan shrines or anything, which they, they, they're pretty small in Africa, so they, they could have been there. Uh, but what these are, these people from Ghana, and they're fishermen, and their families migrated down the coast, and they eventually settled here. But we had no idea they were there. 
And some of our workers didn't even know they were there. Some of them had mentioned they thought maybe there were some down there. So here in our backyard, we have unreached people, right? They never heard the gospel. They never heard of Jesus. Nobody's going to them. There's no churches. They're pretty far from Ghana, and they're, they're not really citizens in our country. They don't even interact really with anybody other than to go, maybe go to a bigger market to sell fish. And so God began to impress on our hearts that we needed to do something about that, you know, because in Acts 1.8, it talks about, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, my Jerusalem has changed. My Jerusalem used to be my city, Panama City, Florida. Brittany's Jerusalem used to be Pulaski, Tennessee. But our Jerusalem's changed now. Now it's Monduku Fishing Village. And they're just outside, so they're kind of our, our Samaria now. And So God laid it on our heart that if we're going to go out in the bush and do churches and do evangelism, we need to make sure that we're modeling what Jesus did, which is starting locally first. And that we need to make sure to bring our local believers that are coming to the orphanage church uh, and teaching them and discipling them that. So um, we didn't get to start that because of quarantine. We were not allowed to really interact. We were not allowed to really do much. We were allowed to drive through. But uh, God has really laid it on our heart to plant churches there in these unreached villages. You know, you think you have to go far to find someone who hasn't heard about Jesus. But you really don't. Whether it's here or whether it's in Guatemala or whether it's in Africa, you really don't have to go far. And so, so that's something uh, that is, is going to be happening in the future. And uh, so pretty much the rest of the year was, was quarantine, right? We spent time at the orphanage, and we were able to talk to some of the pastors on the phone, but, but it was mostly discipling. I was able to, on Easter, I had the, the blessing of leading one of our uh, older girls at the orphanage, she's about 15, Desiree, to Jesus. And she, we, she would go sit down and talk to her about her anger and where it came from, and she was able to just invite the Lord into her heart and I was able, along with the orphanage pastor, to start discipling her and stuff. And so that was, the rest of our year is spent there, and there were sicknesses that, that came and gone, and God brought us through all of them. You know, then we came home. It was really interesting. Shortly after we came home, we had traveled down to take Ocean to a doctor, which, praise God, the day that his treatment started with his doctor, his personality came back. He had been so sick and so depressed, and literally, he was, after we, his first treatment with his doctor, he just started dancing in the store that we went to, you know, and and just laughing and stuff, and then we were traveling back home, we stopped at a hotel, and Brittany wanted to go soak her feet in the hot tub, and I was some of the kids, and these two ladies were sitting there at the hot tub, and when Brittany sat down, they said, you know, we were about to get up, and the Holy Spirit told us that we just needed to wait, and we think that we were waiting on you, and they didn't know us, they didn't know our situation, and they said, we just want you to know that whatever it is your son's gone through, God's let it happen because he's going to use it. God's let it happen because he's going to use your son to have compassion on other people in similar situations. You know, and, and of course, Brittany's just crying at this point, you know, and just, you know, and we recognize that Ocean now has a spiritual walk and he has his own spiritual battles and that God also has his own will for Ocean, just like he does for other children. And, and so it's just encouraging. And, and that hap things like that happened several times. Even before we were in Africa, we would have people come and visit the orphanage and just say, hey, I just want you to know that, you know, I just really feel pressed in my heart that God wants you to know that he, his eyes on your kids, he's watching them, and he's got a plan for them. And you just need to pay close attention to what God's doing in their life because he's going to do big things through them. You know, and so it's just been really encouraging through this whole thing. So even though there were some times where we were scared, we, were, we weren't really fearful, you know. Um, because we knew that God has, he, he, we know that He has a plan for our kids, and uh, we believe, along with some other people, that God has called us to Africa. But one of the reasons He called us is because of the plans that He has for our kids. You know, God's always thinking generationally. 
right? He's always planning ahead. He's always looking ahead. He has a bigger picture than what we can hope or imagine. So we came home, and we were pretty worn out emotionally. And for the first month or so, we didn't really want to talk about Africa. You know, can I be honest? Uh, uh, it was just one of those things where we were just glad to be home. I was glad to have American food. I was glad to have conversations in English. We were glad that our kids were, uh, were getting to doctors and getting treatment and getting revamped and that their immune systems were recovering and that our stomach problems were recovering. And so, so here we are. We came back this past August, and we've been here for a few months now. And uh, we're trying to go in and visit everybody. And so but the question still that's on everybody's mind, and ours too, is what, what happens next? So I know I've taken up a little bit of your time, or a lot of time, but I just wanted to share quickly, what's our vision for 2021? Um, you know, sometimes our plans change, but God's vision doesn't really change, right? He's still a life changer. He's still a soul saver. He still will be praised in every ethnic group on this earth. You know, keep in mind in the Great Commission, when it tells us to go make disciples of all nations, that word for nations there, really, it's related to ethnic groups, right? So every ethnic group is going to know, and is going to know Jesus, and he's going to have somebody praise him from every single one of those. And really, that's still the passion of our heart. That's, we still want to be a part of that work. And so, basically, our vision for 2021 is began developing about the same time we found those villages, we began praying and asking God, okay, obviously, God, we're not going to be in quarantine forever. This thing's not going to last forever. So what do you want us to do when we get out? And it, and it really hadn't ended yet. It had loosened up. But even when we left the country, it hadn't really ended. You were still only allowed to travel in essentially what would be the equivalent of a county, right? So we could, by that point, we could go to the big city, but we could not leave. That's only because it was in our county. We could not leave outside of our county uh, without special papers and stuff. And so we began to pray and say, okay, God, this is not going to last forever. It's already loosening up. What do you want us to do in 2021? And as, uh, and as God led us to that, he led us to two pieces of property there in the village, about a mile from the orphanage. The orphanage is on the outside of the village. So we bought two little pieces of property kind of in the middle back of the village. We started talking to the chief. We found out that it's expanding uh, quickly uh, because a lot of people from the city are tired of being crowded. We're only an hour away, so on the weekends, they're coming. Some people are starting to move in so they can commute. Right now, it's just a sleepy fishing village. But slowly, the land is being bought up, and a few houses are starting to come in and stuff like that. But what's really interesting is the people that are moving in or using them for weekend homes are Lebanese, African from multiple nations, French, and Ivorians. And so literally in this tiny village that right now has about 200 people, we have people from multiple nations underneath the earth, right? And most of them are completely unreached. The only people in this situation that have even heard of Jesus really are uh, the French people that, that come. And it, they come because it used to be a French colony, if you didn't know that. Um, so we think, you know, okay, this is kind of a cultural hub. So we see a lot of opportunity for evangelism right here. So God began to develop in our heart a desire to reach people that were coming to us because they're literally coming right here. And so our goal for 2021, if I had to sum it up, would be to put a huge emphasis on personal evangelism. Uh, Africans tend to think of evangelism as an event, right? And, and they didn't get that from America. They love bureaucracy in their culture. They love things looking official and being official and being big and being fancy. The gaudier, the better, okay? Um, and, and so they like things that are big and loud. They're, a lot of them, their form of evangelism is to get the biggest speaker possible 
hold an evangelistic meeting, turn the speakers all the way up so the neighbors can't not hear it. Okay, that's their version of evangelism. And so God began to convict us that obviously that's not a biblical form of evangelism and, and, and that there was some fear. We began to see this as we challenged them. There's a little bit of fear there with them on being rejected and uh, it's the fear of man. And so really in 2021 what we're going to focus on is getting them to understand by showing them that evangelism happens everywhere. If you're selling potatoes in the market, if you're at the farm, you know, so we, some of these guys, they get up every morning at 4 a.m. and they walk out to farm with their neighbor who they've known for 37 years and he's a non-believer, some of them actively in witchcraft, and they walk with them every morning out to farm and every evening back, and they've never told them about Jesus because they don't know what personal evangelism is. They don't know that that mandate is on them personally. If we can get them to grasp that one thing, it'll change the entire continent, Okay. And so, so that's our goal for 2021. Now, moving towards that goal is the desire to create situations where we can meet people's needs and as we're meeting their needs, speak to their real need, right, which is in their spirit. And so the biggest thing that came to mind is, well, firstly, I should say, we do have to build something to live in. We can't live in the orphanage property forever. The top floor is not really a great place for a family with small children. Uh, so one of the pieces of land is going to be for, for building something. The plan now is for me to go back in February uh, and start building something after, after baby number four is born. And, uh, but the other piece of property, we actually want to use that for kind of like a multi-purpose ministry center. And the first thing that God began to lay on our heart actually comes from Brittany. And I'm really excited about this, and I wish she would come up and say it, but she's a great speaker, but she says she gets all nervous. Um, is that Brittany really has in her heart and has for a long time to be a midwife. She's already a doula, she says she's already a birth coach, and she's, we're in the process now of beginning, just the, the beginning stages of pursuing her becoming a midwife. And she has a desire to train midwives in Africa. They have really terrible practices there, they're really unhealthy, and basically it leads to the spreading of more sickness and disease than what's necessary, uh, more infant mortality, all kinds of things. And how many of you know, if somebody comes in and they care about your child, you're going to listen to what they have to say. And so the, the idea is that we want to come alongside families that are in this really special stage of childbirth. And her come alongside the women, teach them how to be a good mom, teach them how to have a healthy pregnancy, teach other women how to, how to be midwives. And for me to come alongside the husbands and talk to them about what about Jesus, about God, lead them to Jesus, lead them to Christ, and then talk to them about what a biblical family looks like. And, and so, really, the first thing that we want to do on this property is build a little pregnancy center. Now, the cool thing about Africa is that most everything is really easy to start, right? You need a cinder block building, and you need a sign. And that's, that's pretty much it. Like, nobody, it, it's really, nobody knows how to do the paperwork, so in Africa, they tell you, just build what you need to build, and eventually a government uh, employee will show up and ask you have your papers, knowing you won't have your papers, and then you tell him no, and then he goes and gets the papers, which he could have brought the first time. And then he gives you the papers, and then after you fill those out in a few years, another government employee will come up and tell you you forgot papers, even though the first one didn't tell you about it, and then you fill out those. And so after about 10 years, you finally get your paperwork done. And that's how it is for cars, it's how it is for nonprofits, it's how it is for everything. So they say, just build, and the paperwork will catch up to you. Um, and, uh, 
Which, if, you know, I'm, ner- I'm an American, so like I'm really nervous about that. I'm like, no, I want it first. Even like with our truck, I have spent so many hours just trying to get the paperwork knocked out. And after like nine months of having this truck, it, part of the paperwork's in my name and part of the paperwork is still in the other guy's name, you know, who I bought it from. So it's just nine months, it's still not fully mine. It's just how it is. Uh, so our goal is to, is to build this pregnancy center, use it to train some of the girls from the orphanage who have expressed an interest in midwifery, but also use it as a tool for evangelism, both to lead new people to Jesus, but then also to teach our local Christians already. This is how evangelism happens. Um, another goal that we have is to teach the girls at Orphanage how to work. This is a big one. This is the kind of stuff that like, I didn't expect going in to this ministry, right? I expected we'd come in, we would be spiritual advisors of the girls, we would be their friend, we would kind of help give them some advice, maybe help them fill out some scholarships for university, uh, be there as, you know, someone to, to help them through some, you know, relational problems, stuff like that. But James and Linnell, they got to come for two days, and then his brother passed away. They had to leave, quarantine hit, so now they've been there for the equivalent of two days in the past two and a half years. And so at this point, the books have been thrown at us, like, here you go, here's the books, here's the money, here's the finances, here's the bills. All this stuff got thrown at us before we even had a vehicle. We didn't even know where the bill office was. During quarantine, it shut down. So, you know, it's just all this stuff. And now we're thinking, okay, well, the girls are getting older. Our girls at the orphanage are 8 years old to 19. All right? And we've got quite a few that are 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And so this is the age where, you know, they should be working, getting a job, learning how to follow a schedule. The problem is this culture is very loose. And so there's a very real risk, and it's very depraved. There's a very real risk uh, of you sending your, your daughter, in our case our orphans, to work and they come back pregnant. Either because of abuse or just because it's a loose culture and they thought, well, this is how everyone else is, right? And so it's not really a risk we want to take because we need them to get their life on track so they can be prepared to leave the orphanage. And so our solution to that problem is on that ministry property in Manduku to create a place for them to safely work. So we want to start a small kitchen. Now, in Africa, you don't even need a license for that, right? So it can literally be a soup pot and a propane tank, you know what I'm saying, and like a roof. Like, that's what it is. So we'll build a little something there. We want to do probably about six tables. We have some girls who, they're going to technical school now to, to, be, to become cooks, to become chefs. We have some girls who want to be accountants. So the goal is to build a small little kitchen for them to have a little restaurant where they can learn to do the money. They can learn to show up on time. They can learn to take care of the uniforms, take care of the books, take care of the cooking, take care of the menu. We don't just want to keep them alive. When we first got there, the orphanage was, had always been for seven years in emergency mode. It's just now coming out of emergency mode. And so now we're looking for the long term, like how are we going to prepare these girls for life? Because when we got there, we realized these older girls are not prepared in any way. Emotionally, children develop slower in an institution. Okay, so we have 19-year-old girls who are soon going to be in their 20s. Uh, there's only two of them that age, but still. But emotionally, they're about 14. Okay? But then, skill-wise, there's nothing. Right? They can work hard when you give them a task, but they have no skill and they don't have any self-motivation or anything like that. So we've, we're, we're, basically, we have been looking for different ways to help them become functioning adults. And how many of you know, if you see somebody who's a Christian, but he's a lazy Christian, it's not really a great witness. You know what I mean? And I know that because that was me. And then God gave me the hardest jobs that I ever imagined possible, 
And guess what? He beat the laziness out of me. And God told me during those jobs, if you don't learn to be happy here, you'll never be happy. And I did. But now I see that because that was my struggle early on. I see, man, you know, our girls are really struggling with this. So, so that's kind of our solution for that. And we have some other longer-term versions. We love to open up a radio station. There's no Christianity on the airwaves. It's just horrible, horrible, horrible pagan music. It is, and I say pagan specifically. This, this culture, literally, they have idols printed on their money. Like, even if they don't believe in witchcraft and stuff anymore, they still do it because their tradition is witchcraft. Their traditions are idol worship. They're so far into paganism and in a worldview that is so against Jesus Christ that even the good ones in the society, like they don't understand what's wrong with drinking and getting drunk at 10 o'clock in the morning. Like they just don't understand what the problem is. Like every morning that I'd go to the bank, I'd look out, and the businessmen are out there at 9 to 10 o'clock in the morning. They've got their suits on and everything like that, and they're already drinking, right? There's no moderation. Everything is just whatever you can do, just do it. That, it it's, and so basically we're trying to raise these girls up in a way where they'll be a good example for Jesus and where they'll be functioning, where we can care for them. Um, we want to start a radio station where we can do preaching, where we can do teaching. They love the radio there. It's a huge part of their culture. And, uh, and then we'll still have some property left, even if we built all those things. So we could use that for a place to show Christian films, a place to do evangelism meetings, a place to do training. Uh, we, um, another project that's in the process right now that's already started. Some of you have asked, uh, what's the need of giving while you're in the States? Uh, well, the first one is that uh, I have applied for my old job working online, but they have not responded yet because so many people have applied because of quarantine. So we have to eat. So thank you for your continued giving. I do like to eat. Um, now, the second, <laughs> the, second, uh, the second thing is that we actually have some work going on right now. So we are helping with some of the stuff at the orphanage. We, have, we are personally supporting two workers that are essentially the groundskeepers of the orphanage because Mr. James and them did not have the funds for enough staff to actually run it. So when we got there, things were a little bit in shambles. And so we have these groundskeepers working. But then right before we left, we found out they were actually living in what is essentially a walk-in closet. So basically, the walls were just about an inch past my fingertips this way. They were so short that the, one of the brothers had to sleep diagonal. He had to wait till the other guys got in position, and he had to sleep diagonal on the floor. They had a bed, but it had no mattress on it. It just had boards on it. And... Uh, uh, well, there was a thin foam mat about like that. And so it was this tiny room, and it was about double this length. And um, it had no electricity, or it had one bulb. It had no running water. They had a dirty well outside. And they had never complained once the entire time we'd been in Africa. They had never asked for anything once the entire time we were in Africa. We found out that each month after their pay, that they had about $4 left over. Be, to meet their own needs, whether it was medicine or anything like that, because they were sending money to their mom in the bush to help take care of her because their dad had left her. And so these guys were hungry a lot, they, and they were tired a lot, and they gave everything. They worked so hard. They took such good – the girls at the orphanage actually called them Papa as well. And um, their brothers were the pastor there, and so we, we, and we, the pastor used to live with them in this walk-in closet. So it used to be four guys in this – four grown men in this walk-in closet – and I told Brittany, I said, I can't come back in 2021 and build a house. And this is not to my glory. It's just, it was just very humbling. But I can't come back and build a house knowing that our brothers in Christ are living in a closet. 
And so before we left, we started, and the first one just finished. We've, we've been building some little housing for them on our property right there next to where we want to do the pregnancy center. And, you know, 21 feet by 15 feet, have a little AC unit, have some windows, have some running water, nothing crazy. We got one guy who wants to get married, so it's going to be him and his wife, and then the other two brothers will be in this one. And uh, for them, it's a huge blessing. It's, it's an answer to prayer. And these guys have been serving the Lord. They actually served at the orphanage before they were paid. They used to just show up and do stuff because whenever they had days off from odd jobs they could find because they felt like that's what God wanted them to do. So here we have guys who've been serving the Lord day in and day out for years. And their father actually used to work for the orphanage. He was the guy that went crazy and started stealing stuff and then just disappeared. And even after he left, they stayed on. Even not being paid, they stayed on. And then even while they were living in a closet, they never asked us for anything. So these guys were just, man, our heart was moved. i got to be honest. It was really moved to help them in their situation. And so we told them, as long as you work with the orphanage, you don't have to pay rent. So the idea is to give them an opportunity to save up money. One of them wants to be an electrician and an evangelist. The other one wants to make um, Christian films. He actually just made, using his own money, to, didn't ask, we didn't even know he was doing this project. He made the first movie in his language ever, and it's about Jesus. And so when people see this, and you know, it's just his friends acting, you know, but it's a full-length two-hour film. He went and found people to use a borrowed camera for it. And when his people see this film, you should see their faces. First off, it's in their language. Secondly, it's the gospel in their language. And it's dealing with a man's struggle with drugs and how Jesus delivered him from it. That's the storyline. And so he has talent. So we want to help them. Uh, pursue, you know, pursue those things, evangelism and electrician and movie, because Jesus uses all of these things. He uses all of these things. And so, so that's our plan for 2021. It's to continue um, pouring into our community. It's to create opportunities for evangelism. It's to kind of get settled, because we're really not settled. Even when we left the, the apartment, the orphanage, we didn't have any closets. We, we, had a, we had like two shelves, you know, the living room was 97 degrees and, uh, during the hot season and 94 at nighttime. You know, and so, uh, so we really weren't settled, and so the goal is to get settled, continue investing, continue our work in the bush, but to also start planting churches uh, more locally, uh, more locally as well. We are going to put more of a discipleship emphasis, though, because what we've realized is a lot of these pastors, um, through the Bible training that Mr. James has done, they do have some knowledge, but they really need discipleship. They need someone to come alongside and say, this is how you love your wife. This is how you love your kids. This is how you do evangelism. This is how you spend money in a biblical way, right? Because they've just never, they've never had that. It just, there was not, there wasn't opportunity for it. Um, so yeah, that's basically, basically our goal. Um, I will say that we have one work that we've been doing that we don't really talk a lot about, not because we're ashamed. To me, it seems like the kind of work that we should be doing anyways, because Jesus said that true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. Um, and so we, we have the orphans thing covered. And we're looking for more, right? But we have to make sure they're real orphans. And um, so, but the widows thing, that always weighed on our mind. And not from a legalistic perspective, but just because God cares about the underdog. And all of us have been the underdog at one point, and God lifted us out of that. Um, and so what we started noticing was that there were some widows in our community, so we approached them. Some of them were Christians, some of them were not. And we've been able to help them come out of poverty. One lady... I don't think she's a true believer, but she has visited the church there at the orphanage a few times, and we found her. Her husband had died shortly before we got to Cote d'Ivoire. He had been hit by a car. After he died, she lost the right to rent farmland. 
they kicked her off that land and rented it to somebody else. And so she had to pull her oldest daughter out of school. She had one 13-year-old and a bunch of three young kids. And so now here they are in poverty. They have, she has no husband. She has no farm. She has no source of income. She's basically just making soup on the side of the road and trying to hope that somebody in their car will stop and buy some soup. And so uh, two weekends ago, I'm happy to say that because of your giving and because of the other churches in this area, most of our support comes from Tennessee, from Middle Tennessee, by the way. Um, because of y'all's giving, we were able to help her uh, with her, get her second batch of chickens and chicken feed. And so now she has enough chickens. The next time she'll be able to sell them for enough where she'll be self-supporting. Well, she'll have enough to feed her family and buy enough feed and buy more chickens. And, and something like, I think we started with like $500 or something. $500 changed her life. And then I think the second batch, we only had to help out with like $200. So $700 brought a fa an entire family out of poverty. You know, and um, we, helped another, uh, we helped another guy who goes to our church. Uh, the uh, pastor of the orphanage came and said, hey, uh, Yao, his family doesn't have any money for food. Can you help out? And I was like, sure. You know, so we gave him 100 bucks. We took it over to him to check on him. Hey, man, what's going on? Why don't you have any money for your family? He said, well, I got sick right before quarantine, and my boss fired me. And then now quarantine, because I was sick, I was missing from work. Again, really harsh culture, no grace. And he said, I got unsick during quarantine, and now I can't get a job because everything's quarantined and locked down. I don't have any money. And I said, okay, well, you know, here's 100 bucks. Let's get you some groceries. Let's get you some vegetables and stuff. To get you some chickens. Uh, what's your education and what kind of work do you do? He said, well, I actually am educated. I have a degree in uh, animal husbandry, but specifically in chicken farming. And that's what I used to do for somebody else. And I said, okay, why don't we just start you a chicken farm? And uh, we start, he knew what he was doing. We started him a little bit bigger. And so I think for about $1,000, we got this guy everything he needed to start with a pretty sizable chicken farm, but it makes them completely independent. They are able now to pay off their debts they're able to uh, support themselves. But what's cool is we're teaching them how to give biblically. So now Yao is going to take the money that we lent him. He's going to use that. He's going to pay it back, but not really to us. He's going to use that along with his other widow and us to help the next family start a chicken farm or for eggs, whatever. And then together, all of us are going to help the next family. And then the next family, they don't have a biblical understanding of giving here. There's so much fear in their culture, so much anxiety uh, that God's not going to provide for them, that they want to hold on to everything. And so we're trying to teach them that the Bible says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And that's the story of the lives of many of us in here. Many people in here have put the kingdom first, and they've seen how God solves the problems. If we will honor him, he solves the problems. And so we're trying to teach them, if you will give, he's going to make sure that there's enough for your family. But we all are still called to give. We're still called to take care of the downtrodden. We're still called to give towards the gospel. Like we still are all called to give. Um, and so uh, it's been really cool to see that. That's, we're kind of at the beginning stages of that now. Yao is kind of on his third cycle of chickens, second or third cycle of chickens now. And so pretty soon, him and this widow will have enough money saved up or together, even if I'm not there, the pastor and the orphanage will be able to go alongside them and we'll be able to help the third family. And then also, that's a great witness. It's a great testimony. When people start giving selflessly, that's a great testimony, especially in a culture where no one gives. 
Uh, so these are just the things that are on our heart. These are the things that are on our minds. These are our plans for 2021. I'm planning to go back in February, pending, you know, there's not another lockdown or anything like that, uh, and start working on a little house. And Brittany will come whenever the baby uh, gets a passport, which they've been backed up because the government office is shut down. So that's looking to be probably April. Uh, May, they said probably May at the latest, but they're about 3 million passport applications or 4 million behind. So, uh, so yeah, so it's looking like February for me, which is going to be tough being away from my new baby. And, uh, but it'll be okay because Brittany told me, she said, I'm not coming back until you build me something to live in that's not 97 degrees. <laughs> you know, and, and also when, the, when, the, when we were in the top of the floor of the orphanage, we couldn't see the kids. The windows were tiny and we couldn't see the kids where they were on the property. So they could be out in the gate. We had workers coming and going, you know, and, um, you know, and so we just need a situation where we have, we can control their environment more, see them where they feel safe, where there's actually shade. That'd be nice. Uh, different things. So anyways, that's it. Thank you guys so much uh, for listening to me. I know it was a lot, but I'm just trying to download in your brain because I don't know how many of you will catch individually. If you have any questions, shoot me a message on Facebook, come ask us after church, anything like that. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, I turn it over to you, Pastor Brother Man.